the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Freed from sin. We have explored that truth here the last couple of programs. Today, we camp on the opposite side of that coin, alive to God. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner in today's Abounding Grace next. It is an amazing truth to be freed from sin, which means we are alive to God. What does it take to get us to be alive to God? And if we are alive to God because we're freed from sin, what were we beforehand? Well, these are questions we're answering this week here on Abounding Grace as we continue exploring Romans. We're in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner and today's Abounding Grace. Alive to God. Verse 11, once again. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing seems more impossible than that would be us. Dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. But Paul didn't know me. When we look at ourselves, there's so much corruption, so much lawlessness. And you think, so how can this be? This has to be a pious exaggeration. Maybe it's just a symbol, something that makes us think and give us encouragement for a few minutes. And Paul never tells us in these verses to look at ourselves He never says, you look at your experience. You look at your reason and figure out how this is true in you. Figure out how to make it mesh with your experience. This is the problem with a lot of Christian living today, both in theory and in practice. We want something that will explain why I am the way that I am. Preferably so that I don't have to change too much. Or we want something very practical to relieve the pressure and make us feel better. Well, the whole reason Christian living, piety, godliness, or whatever you would like to call it has gone so astray in our day is because we've got the whole thing upside down. Instead of looking at ourselves and saying, well, this is my life and this is the way I am, So how does this Jesus and this gospel that's out there fit in with the way I am? That's like trying to live in a burnout house and telling yourself that smoke and water damage and charred furniture and holes in the ceiling is normal. We are never supposed to begin with ourselves looking at ourselves contented with ourselves. We are supposed to look at what Christ has done 
and resting there, believing in him, asking him to remake us into his image, rather than, as we often do, try to make him fit into the image that we have of ourselves, or might I say, like our fallen filth. Paul begins this section we'll look at today in verse 9 with a reminder that we died with Christ. He says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. And verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. If. The word if there is not an expression of doubt. You see, it could be just as easily translated since. Since we died with Christ. This is not a subject for us to question. It is a fact. He says, since we be dead with Christ, we believe. This is an article of faith that we shall live with him. Just like he died to the power of sin and rose again to newness of life, so in him... The old man in us is crucified, and we now walk in newness of life. And notice the future tense. We shall also. So it's not referring to the resurrection here. It's referring to our progressive enjoyment of Christ's life within us. Listen. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So say you are struggling, tempted, even failing, what are you supposed to do? You can spend a lot of time looking at your sin, but that, of course, is a profitless exercise. You can spend a lot of time looking at yourself, but there's nothing there except darkness. So what are you supposed to do? We are supposed to look at the victory that Christ has won For us, we are supposed to believe what Christ said he has done. I have put you in an intimate union with my son. He died to sin. You have died to sin. Your old man has received a death blow in Christ. And Jesus rose to newness of life. And in him, you have new life. Believe this, says the apostle. He doesn't really tell us here to do anything with this. You know, when we have problems in our lives, one of the first things we think is, what do I need to do to fix it? A lot of us are programmed fixers. But some of the things in Scripture are just revealed to us to strike us down and to humble us. Because God is the one who does the work. Now, that of course does not mean that we don't strive. And that there is not effort on our part. But that effort can only be effectual, listen, if we look to Christ. It is His grace that has to strive in us. So when Paul says here, do you believe this? You've died with Christ. He rose. You have risen in him. And whether you feel it or not, whether you're struggling right now or not, if you believe in Jesus, 
this is true of you. You are a dead man to sin, man or woman. You are an alive to God person. You haven't experienced it yet in all of its richness. But beloved, the reality is there because of Christ. So already today, one very important point must be asked. Where does holiness come from? Is it guilt? No. Is it from I can do it? No. From my principles? No. Holiness comes from union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So do you want to be holy? Then forget about yourself. And stop saying I can't be holy. You just don't know my past. I don't care about your past. I don't care about my past. Yeah, but you don't know my circumstances. I don't care about your circumstances, friends, when it comes to this, because the whole reason holiness is stated in these terms is so that we will know it comes from the risen Son of God. So what are you supposed to do with that? Like Peter You start racing across the water. I need Christ. I have no strength in myself. I am dead. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know where moral compromise comes from? Do you know where immorality in Christian congregations comes from? From doubt, from from worry, gossip, bickering, fear, divisiveness, contentiousness. And they come from one place, Christlessness, Christlessness. And this puts upon each one of us who profess the name of Christ to ask, am I running to him? Am I abiding in his word? Am I clinging to him because he's the only vine? He is the only source of our strength. Paul adds to this in verse 9. He says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead. I love how he throws in the believing comment of knowing. You see, it's not just assumed here. Knowing it is just assumed here. I'm sorry. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead. That pretty much cuts off a large portion of the mainstream denominations. Because to question or to spiritualize away the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is to deny his person. It is to rip out the heart of holiness and to overturn the entire Christian faith. The only reason. That it is profitable for us to assemble here today. Is because we know that Christ is risen from the dead. Now notice though from this he draws something else. He says dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. You know a lot of times death can be a little bit scary. It's not so much that I will die. But how is it going to happen? That's what bothers me. But we need to remember something about the Lord Jesus. 
Let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. When it comes to death, it says he swallowed it. Notice what he says to John in verse 17 of Revelation 1. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Jesus, the Son of God, died once. And on his belt is the death key. Are you afraid of the keys in your pocket? Have your keys ever terrified you once? No. So what does a key imply? A key implies authority and ownership. Jesus owns death. He swallowed it up. He took all of its fury. He exhausted all of its resources. He plumbed its death. And remember, his was no normal death. Strictly speaking, he took all the guilt, the misery, the sorrow, the curse, the corruption, the justice of God upon himself. And he slew himself. He bore the weight of this wrath of God. And he gave up the ghost. He will die no more. Why? Because the key of death is on his belt, and he owns it. Now, what does Paul draw from this book in Romans, from this back in Romans 6? Death has no more dominion over him. We will never die again. There is no more sin to atone for. For Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. Notice verse 10. For in that he died, he died to sin. He died to sin. Think of this with me. He died to its penalty, its curse, filth, all the damning effects you felt in your life. Have you ever felt any? He died to all of these. For all of God's people, for all times. Even more, he died to the wages of sin, a judicial death by the sword of divine justice. Now, through his whole life, he carried this. But notice there the little word in verse 10, once. It is a very crucial word. It means once for all, definitive. There was a moment suspended between heaven and earth when our Lord Jesus Christ took the full effects of our corruption. It says in 2 Corinthians that he became sin. He was made sin for us. And he took the fury of it. He took the wrath of it in some mysterious way that we will never be able to fathom. He bore the separation from God that our sins already brought upon us. And that would have consigned us to hell forever. And he died to that for us. That one moment. He bore it away. He was the perfect scapegoat. And he bore it away into the wilderness. All of our sin. All of our corruption. All of our curse. The Holy One of God bore all of our filth. He gave us flesh. 
for the life of the world. But notice, he didn't stay there. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now this is a much more succinct phrase in the Greek. It says he lives or is living to God. Now this is not just the, that now he lives for God's glory. He did that before. This is not now he really enjoys God. He did that before. This is something much more profound than that. When he was on the cross, he entered into the realm of sin and all of its filth. You live with it. You know a little about it. He knew all about it. He went through the very lowest, deepest place of temptation. Imagine being insulted like he was by Satan. You're hungry. Make your own bread. Your father has forsaken you. No one believes you're the son of God. Throw yourself down from the temple. Prove yourself. You don't want to go through with that nasty old cross. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all you want. Can you imagine the insult and the force of this temptation? As he had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights right after his father had just said in a voice from heaven, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And then he's driven away into the wilderness to be tempted for our sake. That was the realm he lived in. He lived in the realm of sin and judgment, misery, sorrow and grief. Remember the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. The verse before that, when he stood before Lazarus' tomb, he was convulsing within himself. This is my creation. And this is what is happening because of sin. Now I'm clothed in humanity. Now I feel this in a way I did not feel it before. Of course, our language can't convey the power of that. He wept. He was in the realm of separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the realm that our beloved Lord was in. He was in the realm of degradation, stripped naked between heaven and earth, exposed, condemned unjustly. That was the realm that he lived in. Why was he there? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He went into that realm, that dead, dark, deep pool because of our corruption. And you know what he did? He picked the whole cup of God's wrath up and he drained it all. And he emptied the pool of judgment. And now verse 10, he lives to God. That means that his whole life is lived Godward, with God, to God, for God. It means for us as our head and as our mediator, instead of relating to God in terms of sin, judgment, and death, he relates to his Father as our mediator to give us peace, righteousness, and life. For us, Jesus has gone right back into the paradise of God. What happened to us in the garden? 
God said, here is this garden for you. Remember, we see this as as Adam being our representative. And we said, we don't want it. We want your throne. Envy and ingratitude. And what happened? A fiery angel said, you've got to get out of here. Which pointed to what? An even worse ejection. No more of God's friendly presence. Do you see that angel frowning, holding that flaming sword? That is God's face, threatening you with judgment and damnation. But Jesus took that sword into his own holy bosom as the burnt offering for our sins. And now he has gone back into the garden for us. Garden of what? Fellowship with God. Peace with God. God is not against us, beloved. He is for us. God is not our enemy. He has reconciled us to himself. We did not obey our way into his favor. Jesus already suffered to open up heaven for us. He lives to God. But please remember, he does this for us. That is the point of the argument here. He suffered unto death. He suffered and bore our penalty. And now he lives to God. He is in fellowship with him. When you say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer sincerely, what are you doing? You are drawing down the arms of God to embrace you. If you pray it sincerely, forget superstition. God sees through all of that. But when you pray in Jesus' name sincerely, you are calling the one who has gone into heaven for you, and he opens it up for you. The throne is a throne of grace, and rivers of life flow from that throne out of our own bellies because we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives to God, and he is our mediator. He is alive to God. He died to sin, but he is alive to God. Now, for the first time in the whole letter, we are told to do something with all of this in verse 11. He says, likewise, think of yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I want to stress this because there is a little bit of drama here. This is the first time in the letter that there is a command. By the way, we learned something very interesting here. There is nothing leading up to this that we could call today practical. If you notice, it's all doctrinal. And it is absolutely worthless to speak of practical, relevant Christianity unless you also speak of a doctrinal Christianity. You see, they go together. Think what happens if we say, we don't want doctrine. We just want practice. Well, guess what? Then you get the church in America in 2021. Giddy, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Most of us in the church are ignorant of even the most basic teachings of Scripture because people say, I just want something relevant. And really the translation of that is, I just want something to make me feel good and feel close to God. Now, on the other hand, You better do something with all of that doctrine. Because doctrine leads 
to practice. And if it doesn't, it just becomes cold and a source of pride. So it is both. It is doctrine and practice. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.